0: A good Thanksgiving. I had enchiladas for Thanksgiving at one of the places I went to. That's that's my parents' tradition is enchiladas. And I'm having (laughs) but it was awesome and I love it, so I'm glad you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Look behind you. Look at this. Is is this not awesome? I just I wanna recognize she's been doing this for a while, but Amy Rickhart and her team. Amy, please stand up for a second. She's gonna kill me. Amy, she's the behind-the-scenes genius of a lot of the things you see around here. And I want to thank her for that, because it's right around Thanksgiving when they have to do this. It's crazy trying to put it all up and to tear it all down, but they do it every year, and they do it amazing. She does an amazing, amazing job. So anyways, if you have your Bible or you have an iPad, let's turn to Matthew 13:44. We're going to go through a lot of Scripture today, but this is going to be it. This is the Scripture we're going to nail today. It's Matthew 13, 44, okay? And just stay there, and then you can look at me. We'll get to it eventually, all right? So, the Apostle Paul, you know who Paul is. Paul wrote, under the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a a majority of the New Testament. And Paul was writing to his church. And Paul said something to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11.3. He said, I have a concern. Church, I have a concern. My concern is that Satan would deceive you and turn you away from your simple and pure devotion to Jesus. See, the Corinthian church was caught up in a lot of things. And if you're a Christ follower, you know how that is. We get caught up in a lot of things. Things that that rob us of our joy. Things that rob us of a simple and pure devotion to Jesus. Catch that last phrase. Simple and pure devotion. See that word devotion? Oftentimes it's kind of the hallmark thing, right? You hear devotion, it's like, I'm sort of devoted to that... This is a strong word. It's a lethal word of love. It's like the Hebrew word hesed. It means loyal, tethered, covenant love. It's saying, guys, you're involved in so many things. You guys care about so many things, but there's only one thing to care about. And are you sitting at his feet? Or has Satan robbed you of simple and pure devotion to Jesus? Where are you at? Remember in in high school, I had a teacher, and you guys have heard this, the acronym KISS. Not the 70s band that had the makeup and the fire shot out of the guitars. KISS, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Now, when a teacher writes that on there, you're like, wait wait, wait!" wait, you can't tell me. But it's true. We get involved in so many things, so much drama, so much crazy. Circumstances break us. And I think Paul's trying to tell his church, keep it simple. I think Jesus with the disciples over... Guys, keep it simple. Come on, understand what I'm trying to say. Keep it simple. Remember Mary and Martha? Who was at Jesus' feet? Mary. Mary, she found the one thing. What about you? Has Satan robbed you of simple and pure devotion to Jesus? At the end of the day, do you have that? or has he robbed you of it see that word devoted is love is love we're in our series obey and obey is kind of that dirty word right you hear obey but in the Bible obedience is love love is a verb love is action obedience is showing your love they're interchangeable obedience and love and so when he's saying simple and pure devotion he's saying do you love Jesus do you love Jesus are you so in love with Jesus? Because that's it. If you're wrestling with a sin, if you're wrestling with anything, keep it simple. Get on your knees, sit at His feet, fall more in love with Jesus. And that's my prayer for myself and for this church, that nothing could cause our love to go astray. I love, in, in the scripture, I don't even know where it's at, I just remember it so I jotted it down. But Paul talks about having undying love for Jesus. He's he's basically saying a blessing over his church, that you would have an undying love for Jesus. Through every storm of life, through every doubt, you would say, I don't care, I don't understand, but I will sit at your feet, because I know the one thing is you, Jesus, and I want to fall more in love with you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Don't be offended by this, don't email me this, but if you could sum up Brian Stuyvesant's theology, This would be it. It's 1 John 4, 16. And we know and rely upon the love he has for us. Fall in love with Jesus. That's my theology. Fall in love with Jesus. Yes, it's within orthodoxy. Yes, yes, yes. Fall in love with Jesus. It's about a relationship. Have you gotten away from that? Fall in love with Jesus. We get hung up on so many things. If you have a sin in your life, if you have a theological hang-up, if you have a doubt, sit at his feet and fall more passionately in love with him. So here's the secret. You ready? You're not going to like this. The secret to loving Jesus is knowing that you're loved by Jesus. That's it. That's it. It sounds so simple, but that's what Paul's trying to say. You're making it too complex, people. Church, get back to what it's all about. It's what He did for you. And He loves you. He loves you. Let me read 1 John four nineteen. We love Him because He what? First loved us. Let me tell you, the more you understand how much God loves you, the more you'll love Him. If you have a difficulty in your devotion to God, it stems from not understanding how fully devoted He is to you. And we all have those misunderstandings in our devotion. And He wants to refine those and help us to see how much He loves us. And when you catch that, when you catch how devoted Jesus is to you, you will want to be more devoted to Him. What happened? Some of you that are believers, that you're saved, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, when you were found, did you have any rights before God? What happened along the journey where we thought we could come and think we have rights before Almighty God? What happened? Keep it simple. Get back to Jesus. And we're talking about the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to take a parable to teach a simple truth about the Lord's Supper. So we'll see if this is an epic fail or epic victory. If it's a victory, thank you, Lord, or thank you, Jesus. But I want to talk to you. Let's talk in Luke real fast. And it says in Luke 22, He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you underline the word remembrance underline that word see the Lord's Supper is about remembering how devoted Jesus is to you the Lord's Supper is about seeing feeling understanding how devoted Jesus is to you and it's to keep us and get us back to that place of simplicity, of simple and pure devotion. Now, I could have talked about the history of the Lord's Supper. We could have talked about a bunch of things, but three weeks ago, I was praying about this message, and I felt God just said, get to the heart of it, get to the heart of it. You don't need all the Old Testament things. Those things are great. Get to the heart of it. Get to the simplicity of what it's all about. So. I'm going to use this passage, this parable in Matthew 13, to paint that picture. We'll see if it happens, all right? And I want to use this because it illustrates how we start to get things backwards in our relationship with God, okay? And I believe if we read it the right way, that it will help us be devoted to Jesus because we'll understand how devoted he is to us, so that every time you come to this table, every time you take communion, you'll remember how devoted Jesus is to you. So let's read it. Actually, I'll just read it to you. It'll be on the screen. or You can look at your iPad or your Bible. Here we go. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has, and buys that field. Let me read it one more time. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid for joy over it. And he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. How many of you have read this or heard a sermon on it? You, you know this verse. You've at least skimmed the Bible and saw this verse somewhere in it, okay? So you know Let me tell you, the traditional understanding of this, okay, the traditional understanding is that the kingdom is the treasure, the man is us, and that we find the treasure, and then we hide it, and we sell everything to get it, okay? Have you heard that? Have you heard that? Everybody's kind of like, what? (laughs) I'll keep going. (laughs) And it almost sounds like that's what it's saying, okay? Are you with me? Stay with me through this part, okay? Stay with me. We've got to ask the question, what is the kingdom? You see, when Jesus gave parables about the kingdom, sometimes he was talking about the program of the kingdom, meaning here's the start of the kingdom. Here's the end times with the kingdom. He talked about the program of the kingdom. There were other parables he talked about the people of the kingdom. In some parables, he had both mixed in there. Are you, are you tracking with me a little bit? We interpret this wrong because we think it's about the program of the kingdom. We think that it's about me finding the kingdom, okay? Me finding the kingdom. But it's really about the people of the kingdom. I'm going to show you why. Okay, so here's three reasons why this is not talking about the program, but it's talking about the people of the kingdom. You with me? Sort of? Okay. Three reasons why the kingdom is not the treasure. You can't find it, you can't hide it, and you certainly can't buy it. You can't find it, you can't hide it, and you can't buy it. You can't find the kingdom. These are in your outline, but you can write them down if you want. You can't find the kingdom. How many of you play golf once a a year? Golf once a year, like me. I'm the only person that plays golf once a year? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, you're going to track with me. There's that one shot, only one shot, that you hit and you nail it. And everybody's like, I can't believe it. And you look and you're like, man, I should go on the PGA Tour. What's up? You know, suddenly you're the best golfer in the world. But it keeps you coming back after the year, right? I go with my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, Steve and Mike, They're really good at golf. So when they hit a good hit, it's like, oh yeah, that's normal. That's good. Oh, you've been working on your swing. That's cool. When I hit it, it's sort of like what the old pastor said that even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then, you know? It's old school. You and I are worse than a blind squirrel. We ain't finding nothing spiritually. We are lost without a savior. We are spiritually blind until the Holy Spirit pulls the veil back. And even when we are saved, we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate truth to us. We can't find the kingdom. We can't find God. God finds us. Amen? Here's the second thing. You can't hide it. You can't hide it. What did Jesus say about the kingdom? When you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit. The light of the world now lives in you. Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God. A city on a hill can't be hidden, right? You can't hide the kingdom. If there's something wrong, if you're hiding it, it wants to bust out. If you're following Jesus, it's busting out. It ain't being held back. You can't hide the kingdom. And you definitely, definitely cannot buy it. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are bankrupt. We are bankrupt before a holy God. Bankrupt. And if it was for sale, even if you could sell it, if you could sell the kingdom, we couldn't meet the price. We would never meet the price. Okay, we're good, right? Okay, so three reasons why the kingdom is not the treasure. You can't find it, you can't hide it, and you can't buy it. So let me explain the passage, all right? The field, remember there's a field in here, right? The field is the world. The man is Jesus. Remember, fully God, fully man. The son of man came, right? They called him the son of man. son of God, the son of man came. The mystery and the treasure and the treasure and the treasure is you. Is you this parable is about how much Jesus loves you his treasure how he would find you and buy you and purchase you and hide you you are his treasure you are his treasure and I'm gonna say this wrap your mind around this but you are the most valuable thing God has you are the most valuable thing God has how when you understand just a little when we understand just a little of his greatness how could he love us so much how but he does so the first thing is this it's all about Jesus finding you it's all about Jesus finding you. Let me say it again. God, you don't find God. He finds us. And the classic example, of course, is in Genesis. What happens? Remember our verse Paul said about being robbed of your simple and pure devotion? I left out one thing. He says, beware, yes, less like Adam and Eve. Satan would rob you of your pure and simple devotion. We find it in the garden. He's been doing the same thing ever since the garden. And what do he do? He tempted them. They sinned. And what did they do? They ran And they hid. And to be human is to be running and hiding. It's to be running and hiding from God. But guess what? Guess who's looking for you? When I was little, and I stress little, okay, I was a big bird nut, okay? Uh, You know, that was back when there was like two children's programs on TV. Now there's like channels and channels of stuff. But Sesame Street, that was it. That's all you're watching. I was obsessed with Big Bird. I mean, come on, he's a big yellow bird. How could you not be obsessed? Don't give me unibrow Bert or, you know, hippie Ernie or, you know, the grouchy guy, which is cool. He lives in a trash can and all that. Man, Big Bird was the bomb, all right? So my parents, they took my family to um, (laughs) to an ice capades. (laughs) Look, I was 19 years old. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. It was Sesame Street on ice. And so we went to this. And I was young. And we went. And so at the very end, I was just pumped. I'm like, I'm gonna meet Big Bird. I'm gonna do it. So they called all the kids up. All the kids up to the front. Okay? You're gonna meet the characters that were on the ice. So there's just hundreds of kids. We're just swarming the place. I go up there. And my parents are waiting, you know. And so I get up there. And I'm struggling. I'm looking around. I can't get to Big Bird. I can't get to him. So... Suddenly at the end, every, all the kids are going back up, and my parents are waiting. You know, this is the 80s. This, this is why kids don't go outside anymore. You know, this is when all the Stranger Danger stuff started, you know. And so I'm not coming back. Now, I'm their son, okay? And if my son's, man, that's my treasure, right? I'm going looking for him. But I didn't come back. Apparently, I went backstage looking for Big Bird. I don't know. For whatever reason, I'm upset. I'm like, the yellow bird, man, he's mine. I'm going to get him. And so I'm chasing after this bird. I don't find him backstage. And you know, like in in auditoriums or in, you know, I keep wanting to say Coliseum, but you know what I'm talking about. Like the, the lobby part with all the food and stuff. Somehow I managed to get out there. And so my parents are frantically trying to find me. They are looking for me. They are searching for me. I'm totally unaware. I'm just looking for Big Bird, okay? That's all I'm doing. And they find me, and apparently I couldn't find Big Bird. So there's a merchant that's selling these Big big, Bird, big bird um, pens. And I'm trying to convince this guy to give me a Big Bird pen since I didn't get to meet Big Bird. That's when they found me, right? <laughs> but see, some of you are chasing after Big Birds. Some of you are chasing after things that do not matter. And you don't even realize you're lost. And he is searching for you. He is searching for you. Even as believers, we get it backwards and we get off track and we are robbed of our simple and pure devotion and we're chasing things that do not matter. There's only one person to chase. And when you chase him, you'll find he's been chasing you all along. It's Jesus. And he loves you. Number two, it's all about Jesus buying you. Guys, Jesus didn't steal you. He bought you. And Jesus didn't get you as a gift. Now we did for salvation, right? He purchased you. 1 Corinthians 6.10 You were bought at a price. You need to understand this. Jesus paid for you in full. There's no debate. There's nothing else you could say. When he was on the cross, he said, It is finished. It means paid in full. There's no debate. If you belong to him, it's been paid in full. There's no other way to say it. He gave all to have you. But if he bought you, that means he owns you. And if he owns you, that means you don't have any rights. Right? Think about that. You see, that may not sound comforting to some, but you're shackled to something, you're a slave to something. Is it the devil or is it the Lord? Do you want to be shackled to grace or shackled to, to running after things that don't matter? Where are you at? See, I know me. I know me. I'm not a great person. I know what's in here. In fact, I know enough to be appalled, but God knows more in here than I do. I'm a sinner. And I have to admit, there are times when I'm like, you know what? I'll probably just walk away. Will I be able to run the race? Do you ever get like that? We don't want to say that out loud, but sometimes we get like that, right? But see, understanding the truth that you are owned by Him, that's transformed me. Because what that means is, if you're His treasure, He values you. And He ain't letting you walk away. Now look, in human relationships, people walk away. But with God, you don't just walk away. He fights for you. He fights for you. Listen to what Jude 1.1 says. To those who are called and who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.45, talking about our inheritance. Into an inheritance we've received that can never perish spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us, who, meaning us, through faith, are shielded by God's power until His coming. Do you understand the truth that I'm talking about? You see, when I began to see the absolute commitment that God has to me, that I'm owned, that I'm a treasure, that He won't just walk away, it drives me towards Him. I want to be shackled to grace. I want to be shackled to the one that will never let go of me. What about you? Do you believe that? Because, see, that field we talk about, it was owned by somebody. The parable doesn't say who it is, but the counsel of, of the Word of God, we know who it was. It was Satan. Satan owned that field. The devil owned that field. How do we know that? Well, God, of course, owns all things, right? But who did he give dominion to in the garden? Adam and Eve? What did Adam and Eve do? Who did they give dominion to? What is Satan's name? The prince of this world. Now he's a defeated foe on the cross. And Jesus is coming again. And by his very breath, it's all over. He's defeated. But Adam and Eve gave up dominion. They gave up dominion. He owned the field. And he's coming looking for you in enemy territory, basically. But this is what I want to show you. Is Satan thinks you're junk. He doesn't value the treasure. He thinks you're junk. And he wants you to stay that way. He wants you to continually think that's who you are. But Jesus thinks you're treasure. He thinks you're treasure. And he values you. And you're kept by him. And that's an amazing truth we need to hold on to. You see, the value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. Let me say it again. The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. So what's your value? What's your value to the world? I already said it. Satan thinks you're drunk. But to Jesus, you're priceless. You're priceless. Hear this. The highest price that's ever been paid for anything was paid for you the highest price that's ever been paid, it was paid for you. I'm not talking in a general sense. Jesus thought of you. By if He could stand up here in this morning, He would say that. He'd say, Tom, I did this for you. Mikey, I did this for you. He would look each one of you in the eyes and say, I did this for you. What was paid for you? Jesus. Your worth to the Father what Jesus is worth. Because that is it was what the Father was, worth, was willing to pay to have you. In fact, John 17 tells it this way. Jesus says, you love them as much as you love me. But it was Jesus that also said, I love them. You know, I like to think of scenarios in the Bible, like from verses and things. And so, you know, Jesus didn't come up that in John 17. Oh, Father, you love them as much as you love me. It wasn't a sudden epiphany. He knew this from the very beginning. And if you remember last week, Brian Lake talked about Abraham and Isaac And God asked Abraham to sacrifice. Isaac, very hard to understand passage, but it's a foreshadowing of Jesus, what God is going to do and surrender his son. But do you remember what Isaac said? Isaac's holding the wood for the sacrifice, going up, starting to sweat bullets, looking around, saying, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Uh, What's happening? What's going on? But I like to think of the scenario in heaven. The Father and the Son. Jesus is right next to the Father. And they're looking down the darkness of the world. And the Father says, It's time, son. And see, Jesus didn't have to ask what Isaac said. He said, I'm the sacrifice. I'm ready. We love them so much. I'm going to give up everything to get that one. I'm going to give up everything to go get that one. Jesus was abandoned. So you could never be abandoned. Here's the third thing. It's all about Jesus hiding you. Why hide you? Why hide you? That doesn't make sense. What? Because he doesn't want anyone else to have his treasure. He is jealous for you. You are his special possession. Remember, I just read it in June. You are kept by Jesus. In 1 Peter, you are shielded by the power of God. You are his special treasure. But here's another reason. You can't come into the presence of God. Sin is a big dilemma. But God is ingenious how he takes care of it. Here's the truth. He has to hide you so you can be in his presence. This comes from an Old Testament passage, and Paul puts it in New Testament perspective. But the Old Testament, Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I want to be in your presence. Show me your glory. And God's like, I want you to be in my presence, but you can't. I have to hide you in the cleft of a rock. A cleft is an opening in the rock. And even then, Moses, I'm going to have to put my hand over you. And even then, Moses, you're only going to see, like just a little bit, in in the Hebrew it says, the backside, which sounds weird, but what it means is just like, like when something shoots past you at the corner of your eye and you just barely see it, you see a little bit of the form, you're just going to see the essence of me. See, to go to God, we have to be hidden in God. Who's our rock of ages? Who's our cornerstone? Who hides us in the cleft of the rock? Do you guys remember the, the old hymn, Rock of Ages? Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood which from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin, the double cure. What's the double cure? That he got my sin and I got his righteousness. And I live to be with him forever. Save me from wrath and make me pure. Jesus is the rock. And we are hidden in Christ. Paul says this in Colossians. You died and are hidden in Christ. A.W. Tozer says this, we must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ as Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock while the glory of God passed by. Listen to this next part because it's key. We must take refuge from God in God. Above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in His Son while He disciplines and chastens and purges us that we may be partakers of His holiness see there's a dilemma we can't come into his presence but he says i'm going to hide you in my son and when i see you i'm going to see my son now that doesn't mean he doesn't deal with our sin he's god both things can happen but we are hidden in christ in hebrews because you're like well wait a second it says we have his glad welcome right we can go into his presence anytime yes but what does hebrews say through the flesh of the son of god through the son of man through jesus christ that's it. Because we're hidden in Christ, we can come into his presence. We can't. He's holy. There's a problem. But God says, "I'll hide them in my son." And when I see them, I'll see my perfect son, and I'll see his righteousness. Why is this important? Tim Keller said this, "The gospel is this: we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than ever we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved" And accepted in Jesus Christ, than we ever dared hope. Our sinful nature is corrupt. In Christ, it says we are perfect. How? Because He hid us in Christ. That's the truth, and it's a huge truth. And this is why this is important. This is why it's huge. Why is this all a big deal that He hides us? It's because we need to settle whether it's about grace or about works. This seems very obvious, but churches are preaching grace plus something else. Loaded messages, but it's only by grace. You will only live a righteous life by the grace of God and by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that only happens because He hides you in Christ. When you got saved, God hid you in Christ. Here's a verse, the Caution 3.3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. John 10.27. My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus talking. And I know them, and they will follow me you know, if sheep aren't following, maybe they don't belong to Him. And Jesus goes on and says, I will give them eternal life. How long is eternal life? And I will give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So, you're hidden in Christ. He goes like this. Listen, listen to this. This is the most amazing verse neither shall anyone snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So it's like we're in Christ's hand, now the Father puts His hands over Jesus. That's hidden in Christ right there. That's a picture of being hidden in Christ. It's the most amazing verse romans 8:38. 38 i am persuaded that neither death nor life nor anything nor angels nor principalities nor powers that's referring to demons nor things present or things to come that's the future nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of god which is in christ jesus our lord that's really good news ephesians 1 says this in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom, in Christ, in whom, you also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a guarantee of our inheritance. You see, God made us a guarantee. If He made us a guarantee, do you think it's a good one? How can He make that guarantee? Because we're hidden in Christ, and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? How can the Holy Spirit dwell with the sinful nature still? Because you're hidden in Christ. Because you're hidden in Christ, and He's got you, and you're secure in Him. So let me recap these verses. You are hidden with Christ. No one can snatch you from His hand. Nothing can separate you from His love. And you've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of it. That's awesome. That's good news. That's what we get away from. That's what we need to remember. See, there's a tether between you and heaven, and His name is the Holy Spirit. Just like an envelope, He licked and sealed and said, do not open until the day of redemption. See, salvation is not based on performance. Obedience is not out of obligation or fear. Look, if salvation is based on performance, I've already lost it, guys, as a pastor. I mean, and if you're saved, you probably lost it the day after you got saved. I mean, let's just be real, Okay? I'm not saying go and sin and do what you want. I'm just saying the truth of what's in Christ. It's about His perfection. It's about what He did. It's based on His obedience, which He was perfect. Jesus was perfect. Here's the last one. It's all about Jesus rejoicing over you. What did it say? He goes out. He finds it. He hides it. He buys it. And he rejoices over it because it says when he has it, he finds great joy. He delights in you. What does Hebrews say? Because of the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. What is the joy set before him? It's you. You. He loves you. Are you getting this? You are his treasure. By the way, he bought the whole world. He bought the whole world. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It doesn't just say a few. It doesn't just say the believers. It says the whole world. Now it's up to each person whether they'll receive that, right? You have a decision today, if you don't know Christ, to say, Lord, I want to be born again. I need new life. I can't live this on my own. That's your decision. You have to make that. But he did it for every single person Exodus 19.5, he's talking to the physical Israelites. And he says, you shall be my special treasure. And you're his special treasure too. In Isaiah five three, we find a really interesting verse. He says, I will give you the treasures of darkness. What? The treasures of darkness. Isaiah five three. this is a prophetic, messianic, meaning kingly, Prophetic thing, a verse that sounds strange to us, but the Father is talking to the Son. The Father is saying, Lord, Jesus, you're not saying Lord to him, but he's saying, Jesus, Son, I'm going to give you the treasures of darkness. Guess who the treasures of darkness are? You and me. Those who lived in darkness have seen a great light. And we were given to Jesus. And he has brought us into his marvelous. Light. Isn't that awesome? Once you catch this, that you're the treasure, it changes when you read the other parables. Look at the very next parable in 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. Guess who the merchant is? Seeking beautiful pearls. Who, when he found one pearl of great price, gave up all that he had to buy it. Jesus gave everything. And I love that it makes a singular thing. Because when we think about the cross, we think, oh, but he loves everyone. He died for everybody. The parables show us that He did it for just you. Just you. He thought of you. He gave up everything. See, we come to this table to remember these things. And some of you have forgotten it. Some of you have forgotten the simplicity of the devotion to Jesus to keep it simple, to keep coming back to Him because of what He did for you, to realize how devoted He is to you in just a second. And the lights can come down. We're going to take the Lord's supper we're going to take communion what you're going to do you're going to come up and break this and dip it in here but i want to give you the opportunity with every head bowed every eye closed i want to give you the opportunity maybe you've never given your life to jesus today maybe you've never received salvation salvation is a free gift you cannot earn it but every person needs it you can't be good enough it's not based on how good you can be it's based on jesus's goodness which was perfect if today you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I just want to lead you through a prayer that you'll say it out loud. And as I do that, you don't actually you don't even have to say it out loud. If you want to, that's cool. Just bow your head and say it inside your head. Pray it to him in faith of what he did for you. He died on the cross for your sins so you could be forgiven and that you could know the Father and that you could live with him for eternity in heaven. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Just repeat this after me to yourself. Lord God, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that had to be shed for me. Forgive me of all my sins. Give me new life, Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit on me. Help me to know more about who you are lead me into truth in Jesus name Amen if you prayed that prayer right on your connection card put it back in one of these boxes we have a book we want to give you we want to follow up with you you need to be growing in Christ maybe you're a believer today and Satan has robbed you of your simple and pure devotion to Jesus and you need to get back to him. It doesn't mean you understand everything. It just simply means you say, I'm willing to worship you no matter what. We're going to take communion. This is why we take communion it's to remember that he found us, that he hid us, that he bought us, and that he rejoices over us. Take a second, every eye closed, head bowed. Just take a moment. Say, Lord, search my heart, examine me. Guys, if there's any sin, just say, forgive me. Trust that He forgives you. This isn't about living in guilt. Come back to the simplicity of what He did. How devoted He is for you. I want to give you a couple seconds and then we'll take Lord's Supper.